close the book of John, I want us to remember clearly the book's message. John loves his Savior dearly. John is completely committed to Jesus. You see it throughout the record of Jesus' ministry that John lays out here for us. And he doesn't just love Jesus, but he desires that all who read, all who hear the message that he records, would do one thing, and that is believe. And so Jesus' command is one that John passes on to us, which is believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so throughout the book, he spends quite a bit of time contrasting false belief with true belief. He lays out for us the the stories of those who believed, in in a way, the crowds, but then fell away. And he wants us not to be those who, who believe that fall away, but rather who believe unto eternal life. And this is a message that especially those of us who are in the church, those of us who have heard the message, those of us who grew up in Christian homes need to hear that it is possible for you to believe that these things are true in a way that does not give you salvation. You understand, those of you who are children, those of you who grew up in Christian homes, that does not make you a Christian. Being baptized doesn't make you saved. Having heard these stories and believed them doesn't make you a Christian. And so we come to the book, the end of the book, and Jesus is with his disciples, and he has this this interaction with Peter, one of his apostles, and Peter had denied him three times with cursing just before Jesus was crucified. Now Jesus has come back from the grave. He has been raised up. He's returned to his disciples. And Peter's love for Jesus, his Savior, is clear. And Jesus establishes Peter's belief and love of him beyond any doubt. And then he gives Peter this command, follow me, follow me. That's the command to us. Follow him. Follow Jesus. In the middle of that, we get this funny little story where John has to correct a rumor that Jesus started. How many of you ever thought of Jesus as somebody who started rumors? that never crossed your mind as something that would happen, right? Well, we'll see it in this passage. That's uh, just a little teaser for you. Um. But it was a misunderstanding that spread, like rumors tend to do. And, uh, and so John thought it was worthwhile to correct it. Um, and in the, 
in the middle of that interaction, Jesus says to Peter, something that you kids have probably heard before, he says, mind your own business. You ever been told that? Mind your own business? When I was, I think, too old for my mom to use it on me, she uh, came up with an abbreviation for that, M-Y-O-B. She would say it to my younger siblings. Maybe she said it to me, I don't know. But M-Y-O-B, what's that stand for? M is for mind. Y is for your. O is for what? Others? Mind your other's business? No, mind your own business. And then what does Jesus say to Peter? He repeats his command to him. You follow me. And again, that's the command to us. Follow him. That's the call to us. That we mind our own business and follow Jesus. That we stop worrying about other things and follow Jesus Christ in obedience. Let's open our Bibles to John 21 and read the end of the book, starting in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and and what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say this. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Did you guys catch that mind your own business to Peter in there? You guys catch when Jesus said that? What's it, what, what, how did, what words did he actually use? He said, what is that to you? What is that to you? And so just as kids often need to be told to mind their own business and obey the command that they've been given, so it is with us, all of us, whether adults or children, that we need to be given that command, that reminder. Quit worrying about him. Quit worrying about her. 
if they get a million dollars, if they get taken away to prison, if they learn how to read in Hebrew and Greek, if they get to get married and have a lot of kids, if they never get to get married, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter turns around and sees John following them, right? Jesus says, follow me. And John immediately begins to obey, but then he looks back and he's like, but what about him? And that's when Jesus says, mind your own business. You obey me. You follow me. Quit worrying about John, Peter. Now, you've got to remember, Peter and John, it's not like they don't have a relationship with one another. It's not like they don't know each other. It's not like Peter and John don't care about each other, right? There's a little song written, Peter and John went to pray. Have you guys heard that song? They met a lame man on the way. He asked them for alms and put out his palms. I don't remember the rest of it. (laughs) Peter and John go together. My point is, Peter and John, when you say Peter, typically you follow it with, and John. And in fact, Peter and John are together. That song that comes from the book of Acts, which takes place after this. So it's not like Peter and John, like all of a sudden right here, Peter and John never have anything to do with each other anymore. But Joseph and Paul, here we are, you know, Paul and I, we work together closely. We're pastors in the same church. So, So Joseph and Paul. And yet Jesus' command to me is, If I want Paul to do something different than you, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, you may be able to put up with that with Peter and John and with Joseph and Paul. Who is it in your life that you like to worry about besides yourself? Typically, it's the people that you have the most interaction with. Or else they're people that you really don't like. Either it's your closest friends or your bitter enemies that you worry about, right? And, And sometimes you see that they're the same person, aren't they? Moses and Eliza are very close in age, nine months apart. Do you love Eliza? Eyes get big, smile, yeah. Who do you fight with most in our house, Moses? Who is it? Eliza. I read about a pastor who every time he used his any family member as an example in a sermon, he put a dollar in a Savings account for them or something? I don't know. I don't do that. 
But you see what happens? Peter and John are very close. The sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, right? Isn't that Peter and John? Or am I confused all of a sudden? No, that's, that's, that's James and John. Thank you, son. Yeah. <laughs> but Peter and John are close. They're the two closest ones to Jesus. Both fishermen. There we go. Working together. And Jesus says to Peter about John, what is that to you? You follow me. Quit worrying about John and you do what I said to you. Now that's often when parents have to say to their kids, mind your own business. Sometimes it's because kids are just coming and tattling, right? But an awful lot of the time it's, go clean up your room. Well, what about, what about, who's the other person in your room with you, right? Who's the person who made the mess? It wasn't you, obviously. You're the one who's being told to clean it up, so it must have been somebody else. It's because it's always somebody else. When you're the one who's told to clean up the mess, if it wasn't your brother, it was the dog. If it wasn't the dog, it was the cat. It's always somebody else, right? Well, what about, they're the one who made the mess. Aren't you going to tell them to clean it up? You, if, if I want them to go up on the roof and clean out the gutters, what is that to you? You go do what I told you to do. If I want to take them out for donuts, what is that to you? You obey me and do what I said. If I want to give them candy and let them sit on the couch for the rest of the day, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, how many of you like those comparisons? But what if it was this one? If I want him to live forever, what is that to you? And that's what the disciples came away thinking Jesus had said about. Their takeaway from this initially for a little while was, if I want him to live until I come again, what is that to you? Wait a minute, John's going to live? Now the Roman Catholic Church, 1,500 years later, had this idea that John had never died. There was this superstition that there were all these things that were passed down that were superstitions that were considered church history or were considered traditions. And one of the traditions that was passed down was that John said, dig a grave for me, and he went down in it, and when they went the next day and they looked in the grave, he wasn't there. Don't be superstitious. John corrects it right here. John is the one that's being spoken of. John is the one who's writing, and he says, but that's not what Jesus said. You hear me? He just said to Peter, mind your own business. 
If I want to do that, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter loves Jesus. The cost of Peter following Jesus is what? Jesus gave it at the beginning of our passage. He said, when you were younger, you got to do what you want. But when you're older, you're not going to do what you want, and people are going to make you do things that you don't like. You're going to stretch out your hands. And, G- and, and John says he was describing how Peter would die. For what? For God's glory. How, what kind of death, he would glorify God with. Remember Peter had just before, the, before Jesus was arrested and crucified said, I'll die with you, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, no, you'll deny me. And he comes back, and just before we started reading, they have that sweet, sweet conversation where Jesus asks him, do you love me? And three times, just like he denied him three times, three times Peter gets to say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then what does he follow each of those with? A command, work to do, feed my sheep. And then he ends it and he says, okay, now follow me. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to die to glorify God. Come follow me. If we love Jesus, we will obey him. If you love Jesus, you'll obey him. That doesn't mean that you won't have temptations, that you won't have distractions, that you won't worry about other people, but you need to obey him in spite of all of those other things, all of those distractions, all of those cares that come upon you. And there will be a cost to you of following Jesus. I don't know what that cost will be for you guys, but if you follow him, there will be a cost. How do we know that it isn't just Peter who has a cost? Maybe this was just Peter, right? I mean, it says that Peter will glorify God by this death. Well, because Jesus promises that if we follow him, we will receive persecutions. That's how we know there will be a cost. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if you love him, you will obey him, and that will come with a cost. And for Peter, that cost was death and persecution. Peter became a martyr. And yet, here in this passage, you have... I think that's one of the most encouraging things when Jesus says to him that he's going to glorify God by this kind of death. 
Why would I say that's encouraging? Well, because Peter had said that he was willing to do that, and he had proved himself unfaithful through his denials, hadn't he? Why had he denied Jesus? Because he was scared. We all know why he was scared, right? He was in the, he was in the outer court where Jesus was being tried, the same house. He was standing by a fire with a bunch of enemies. And so he, he's scared. And now Jesus says, what? You will be faithful unto death. Don't you wish you could know you would be faithful unto death? Jesus gives Peter a great gift. And then he says, you know, the the gift is, here's what's going to happen. Here's what the rest of your life is going to look like if you follow me. Now come, follow me. And it's clear what happens. What happens? It's They're on the beach. Jesus finished feeding the disciples. It was after they'd been out all night fishing. And he says, now follow me. And he starts to walk away. And it's, it's weird. Because Peter immediately starts following him. Jesus starts walking. Peter's like, he just said, follow me. Now, we think of this metaphorically as a bigger picture. And it's, it is. It means follow me has multiple meanings, right? But if you're kids and you're playing follow the leader and you say, you follow me, everyone knows it's just this literal kind of following. Well, Jesus had some literal command in there to Peter, follow me. And he started walking away and Peter starts walking after him. How do we know? Because it says that Peter looked back. Am I the only one going with you right now? Where are we going? You can imagine all the questions that are going through Peter's... I know all the questions that will be running through my mind anyway. Right? Follow me. So he starts following him. It's simple obedience. Now, that's what I want you to see. that The command to us is follow Jesus. And it's... It doesn't mean that Jesus is going to walk through the door and then we're all going to start following him around. We know that, right? But but what does it mean? Simple obedience. Simple obedience. There is no lack of knowledge on our parts of what the commands of Jesus are. If you don't know what the commands to Christians are, They're the commands to everybody. You are to worship God alone. You are not to worship any idol. You are to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You are to keep the Lord's name holy and not misuse it. 
I'm not going in order. I'm kind of going in order. You guys have heard of the Ten Commandments. They're, they're to everybody. They're to us. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. These are the commands. To follow him is to obey those commands. It's simple obedience. Now, that doesn't make obedience simple. Right? To follow him means simple obedience. Jesus started walking and said, follow me. Peter started walking after him. Simple obedience. But it wasn't so simple for him to do, was it? Why do you know? Well, because he turned and he looked back. And he's like, what about him? And so this is a temptation for all of us. To compare ourselves to others. To compare what we face in following Christ to what other people face in following Christ. To compare our temptations with their temptations. And so, we're tempted to worry about them rather than ourselves. And a lot of the time, what we get caught up in is, is that that's not fair, right? <clears throat> that's not fair that I have to clean my room and he... What? What? You don't know what. That's the point. You don't know what. Jesus says, if I want him to live until I return, what is that to you? Which is not to say, I'm going to have him live until I return. It may be that your parents have a bathroom cleaning duty for your sibling. Who would rather clean the bathroom than your own room? Hmm. Nobody. Are you going to compare yourself to other people? Why do we compare ourselves so that we can find out whether it's fair or not in following him? This is what it's going to cost me to follow him. I have to give up my boyfriend. I have to give up my uh, children. I have to give up where I'm living. I have to give up. That's not fair. How come I have to give up so much to follow Jesus? And she doesn't have to give up anything to follow him. She gets all the things that I want. And it's not just kids that do this, is it? We do this. When my great-grandfather was getting very old and was living with my grandparents and my, uh, my dad was still living at home, okay, 
they sent grandpa, great grandpa, to bed. <clears throat> and he went to the top of the stairs and he said about my aunt, how come, what about her? How come she doesn't have to go to bed? How old, I mean, how old would he have been? I don't know, 85, 90, who knows? I don't know how long he lived. And here he is, he's, he's saying, what about her? How come she doesn't have to go to bed? How many of us do that? We've been doing it since we were a little kid, right? It comes naturally, and we hide it as, a, you know, you get more mature, you tend to hide it more. You complain more subtly. And eventually you get to maybe 85 and you just are like, you know what, I'm sick of being subtle. How come she doesn't have to go to bed? How come obedience for me looks like doing this thing I don't want to do right now and obedience for her looks like doing something that I want to do? Obedience for him is easy compared to the obedience that I have to do. I mean, we compare ourselves in so many ways. I know many Christians who compare their, compare themselves to others with regard to their testimony. I was sitting in church one time and this guy stood up and he had this wonderful testimony about how God had saved him from drugs and addiction and he had been stealing and living this terrible life and then God just changed him. And he had such a wonderful testimony and mine's so boring. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home and I never had anything major like that that I was into. And then I, it's like, no, that's a boring testimony. I, can't, I don't have anything to say. I couldn't stand up and give my testimony. Mine's boring. God has given you a gift of growing up in a Christian home and never living a life of rebellion and, and the, the terrible, awful things that come with those things. That's your testimony. It's a beautiful testimony. It's a gift from God. Don't compare yourselves like that to other people. So tempted to worry about other people. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 4, and 5, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. This is another way we compare ourselves, right? Examine your own work. Why? so that you can boast about your own work. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not trying to make you boast. He's trying to quit. He's trying to keep you from boasting in comparison to somebody else. Well, at least I never went off and slopped pigs like so-and-so did. It's the same story, right? The guy who has the amazing testimony about how God totally transformed his life and saved him from all the wickedness, and you're going, 
My testimony's boring. The next day you're going, well, at least I never was stealing things from people. I guess I'm doing pretty good. Boast in your own works. And you, what you'll find is what? You don't have a lot to boast about, do you? Paul ends that verse by saying, each, for each one will bear his own load. And what is that load? That load is something that has been given to you to bear. What does obedience look like for you? That's your load to bear. You've been told to clean your room. You will not be held accountable for the bathroom. You will bear your own load. Jesus has given each of us work to do. You will be accountable for your own work. The work that you've been given to do. There's no boasting in how you're doing a better job cleaning your room than so-and-so is doing in cleaning the bathroom. Am I right? When it comes to the bedroom, the only question is, is it clean? Did you do it? Have you obeyed the call of Jesus Christ? Come, follow me. Nobody else can answer that question for you. Nobody else can do that for you. Peter cannot follow Jesus for John. John cannot obey Jesus for Peter. What is that to you? You follow me. Now, envy of other people is always worrying about what they have instead of what you've been given. It's always worrying about that. And Jesus says, what is that to you? Okay, <clears throat> I, I envy church planters who are given certain gifts that I don't have. I've been called to a particular work to do it. That work is right here, right now. I'm preaching. This is my work, right? only part of my work, but it's definitely my work. Now, how many of you can, can think of things that I would like to have? Me. You just look at me and think, what does Joseph want and not have? Aside from a million dollars. This is always the one I use with my children, right? Well, I want a million dollars. So what? I want blah, blah. Well, I want a million dollars. You want to know what I want? You guys are like, no, I'm not sure I do, actually. It's going to be uncomfortable. Thinking about the pastor being a sinner, I don't know about this. You want to know what I want? No. 
Nobody's nobody's wanting to. He wants to know. Good. We got we got. I got a witness. I got a witness. Somebody out there wants to know. It's Patrick Hart's fault. He wants to know. Not just somebody. I want different gifts. God has given me many, many good gifts. One of my gifts is preaching. It's a gift. Am I proud of that? No. I'm not proud of that. But are there other gifts that I want? Yeah. Like, for instance, I want to be better at raising money. That would be nice. I was told when I was raising money that my pitch, you know what the pitch is? That's when you make the, that's when you ask. That my pitch was, well, they were polite. No good. I don't like that. I compare myself to other men and, and what do I find? I find that they have things that I want. And I'm tempted to envy. If you think about this church, here it is. It's, it's a small group of people. We've, we've been here having services now for two years, and there aren't that many people here. Look around. It's okay. And I envy those who show up and start preaching, and all of a sudden, there's all these people there. That's a gift. Well, sometimes it's a gift. Sometimes it's a curse. I got a, I got a witness out there. <laughs> and but, but you can bet on one thing, whether it's a gift or a curse. I can look at it and I can envy it, can't I? Sometimes we worry that we'll be called to the same thing as others are called to. You look at what somebody else went through in their life and what obedience cost them, and sometimes the cost to people is they no longer have contact with a loved one. That is a, that is a price to pay, and it's not one that Jesus was unfamiliar with, he mentioned broken relationships and lost relationships specifically, right? No one has given up house or farm or family members. He then lists particular family members, those closest relationships that we have. Father and mother and brother and sister. No one has given those things up but he will be repaid a hundredfold in this life along with persecutions and in the life to come, eternal life. And so you look at somebody else and you look at what the cost to them is and you compare yourself to them and you think, I don't know that I have what it takes to go through that.
And are you going to let that stop you from obeying Jesus? Are you going to refuse to follow Him because you're afraid that the cost is going to be too great for you to bear? Peter was a weakling. Peter couldn't even say, yeah, I'm one of his disciples. And did Jesus give him a burden that was too great to bear when he said, you're going to you're going to go where you don't want to go. People are going to gird you and do what you don't want to you, and you're going to die. No, because Jesus gave him the strength. Will Jesus call you to suffer beyond what you are able? No, he will provide the grace necessary and the strength to accomplish the work that He has prepared beforehand for you. We allow the sins of others to make us feel good about ourselves, or we allow the sins of others to lead us into sin, and Jesus says, I know He's off slopping pigs, I know he's cheating on his homework. I know he's, you fill in the blank. What is that to you? You follow me. So often in churches, people get offended on behalf of others. Pastor, I don't think you realize that when you said that, you offended the Pharisees. I'm not offended, you understand. But the Pharisees, do you know they were offended when you said that, Jesus? And Jesus is going, uh... Yeah, I know. Do you realize that what you said, Pastor, was offensive to my Roman Catholic friend that I brought? Do you realize, Pastor, that what you said could have made people think that you think that Either the thinks go back and forth at that point. That I think, that you think, that she thinks, that video games are evil. You're offended for other people, aren't you? What is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? You obey. Now, I've just gotten done saying over and over and over, every way that I can think of, stop worrying about other people. Stop comparing yourselves to other people. Stop worrying about what other people think. What is that to you? There is one way that you are to worry about other people. And I don't want to end without saying it. You are to love one another. But all of the examples that I just gave, none of them have anything to do with love, do they? None of them are the kind of attention that we're commanded to give to others, loving and caring for them. 
So, when Jesus calls you and says, follow me, what might that look like? Well, it includes everything about your life. It includes your career. It includes your family. It includes how you look. It includes what gifts you've been given. It includes how you were raised. Everything that has been given to you and everything that you have and everything that you will have and all of the choices in front of you, all of them, come to right now, always the right now, you're always faced in every moment with that, follow me. Follow me. Obeying doesn't look like ignoring everybody else. Obeying looks like John in first, second, third John. John in the book of John emphasizes that it looks like loving your brother. No one loves God if he doesn't love his brother, is what John says. So yeah, what is that to you? You follow me includes worrying about your brother to a certain degree, or in a certain kind of way, I should say. Right? But I think that you all understand the many, many sinful ways that we like to look back and say, what about, what about him? And Jesus says, mind your own business. And do what you're told. And that's joyful. It's beautiful. It's sweet. Let's pray.